research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in our federal governments. And I'm joined, as always, by our co-host, Eric Eggers, who's both a vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute and author of a 2018 book on voter fraud. Now, Eric, you and I are usually shoulder to shoulder, but not so today. We are doing this podcast uh, both remotely because we're both traveling. It's summertime, of course, and we're both doing this having having taken airplanes to get to our destination. So I hope all is well on your end. Well, everything's okay on my end. I'm actually worried about you. I know flying commercial usually causes a variety of maladies for you, skin rashes. And more importantly, did, did you survive like having to mingle with the regular common traveler? That's my always concern. Yeah, no, I, I am strictly proletarian in my flying. I fly commercial <laughs> and I actually fly, I prefer, as you know, the rear of the plane. So, um, but yeah, we both have these planes and uh, I know that you um, are traveling overseas. Obviously, we, we don't want to talk about exactly where you are. Uh, did you run into any delays? Did you have any problems? And if so, how did you handle that uh, I actually did run into some delays. We had uh, we got stuck on the tarmac for a while before I boarded my international flight. Uh, but typically, when I and I have been this happened to me a few times. Um, you know, I'll be on a flight and it gets canceled, and so I do what I always do: I panic and I throw money at the problem. <laughs> Well, you, you, you are inspired by our federal government because that's what the U.S. government has done in the midst of all of these te- travel disruptions, of course, caused by COVID because the travel industry was disrupted by COVID like in, unlike, unlike any other time, really, if you think about it. I mean, the 9-11 attacks that I remember uh, occur, dramatic change in travel, that led to a 7% drop in overall travel. But in 2020 with COVID, flights were down 70%. Uh, That's insane, right? I mean, think about that. You would have thought 9-11 would have been far more impactful and devastating to the travel industry. Uh, But literally, I mean, 10 times, or I can't even mess with the math, right? 7% to 70% for what's happened to COVID. Um, And just like everything else, right? The profound decrease in what happened to the travel industry, everyone now is struggling to keep pace with it. Yeah, they are. exactly, exactly. And I remember, by the way, I flew about a week after 9-11. Uh, the flight was probably a third flo- uh, full. Everybody was kind of jittery. In fact, I remember it was a red-eye flight and everybody was sort of laying down and somebody at like two o'clock in the morning had this really loud, violent sneeze and everybody popped up and looked around like ready for action. Like, what are we supposed to do? But I mean, it was, it was, it was one third full. I also flew about a week after the COVID lockdown. I was on a plane flying into Houston. It was a I remember rather, this. rather large picture. plane. Yeah, I was rather large plane. There were uh, four airline stewardesses on the plane and there were three passengers. 
Um, so it was a massive disruption. Now, of course, in the midst of all this, um, the federal government decided to throw a lot of money at the problem, as you talked about. But what we want to discuss today is, is a little bit in the past, but talk about right now where we are now, because there have been massive disruptions uh, in airline travel. Lots of flights, cancellations, lots of delays. Uh, they are, they are uh, condensing a lot of flights. And a lot of people want to know why, Eric, what role did the federal government play in the state of travel today? And what is the responsibility of corporate America? And I would say some of that corporate America response is also related to how the federal government handled it. So we want to talk about this today, but the bottom line is let's just go back for a minute at that time when the pandemic hit. Uh, and you're quite right. The federal government decided to deal with a problem by throwing money at it. Uh, and do you remember how much money they actually threw at it, Eric? Yeah. So, I mean, just like every other industry that applied for bailouts and payroll protection programs and things of that nature, the airline industry is no different. Um, but I think there's one key component to this is that part of the reason why the federal government gave money to the airline industry in, in form of a bailout or in form of like payroll protection uh, to the tune of $54 billion, wow, by the wow. way, $54 wow. billion with a B, because it was based on the airline carrier's promise that this money would help them not just kind of stay afloat, but then be ready when travelers returned to the skies. And specifically what that means and what that meant is keeping staff employed, right? So right, they say, okay, right. okay, airlines, here's 54 billion, like pay your people, right? Like continue, you know that the traffic and the volume is not going to be there. Uh, I think you and I actually continue to travel throughout the pandemic. I actually sort of didn't mind pandemic travel. I went to a World Series game <laughs> in October 2020. It was I amazing. That. I remember like, that. <laughs> no lines in the bathroom or the concession stands. It's terrific. I also think I gained <laughs> 20 pounds. Because that's the only way I could rationalize not having my mask on. I was eating and drinking. I basically ate and drank all of 2020. That's very good coping. Yeah, right. No, super healthy. But the point is, is that, um, you know, so we did our part to keep the airlines afloat. The airlines did not. Um, Delta, yeah. who I love, I'm team Delta, but they shed 30% of their employees. That's like 30,000 people. They cut from their staff um, during the pandemic. American Airlines also laid off 30% of their staff. And here's the deal. You might be asking, well, wait a minute. How could this happen? Um, because all told, even though the airline industry received $54 billion from the government, their workforce shrank by about 42,000 full-time workers and 14,000 part-time workers um, as the payroll support program concluded. Now, uh, here is where I think the federal government is culpable. Number one, they just threw money at it, maybe without a well-thought-out solution. Number two, the money that they threw at the airlines didn't contain the necessary caveats because they said, hey, we want you to pay people. But what Delta and these other airlines did is they, they paid them. They paid them to go away. <laughs> they offered a lot of early retirement programs for pilots and things of that nature. And so that's actually one of the reasons why we have now all these cancellations. Typically, they say it's, on average, like 1% of flights will get canceled. Um, but on some of these busier weekends, not including 4th of July weekend, by the way, 4th of July weekend, they thought it was going to be bad, ended up being only about 1.5%. But a couple weekends before that, multiple airlines canceled as many as 10% of flights. And so the reason for that is because they have these staff shortages, right? People, uh, if their shifts run too long, um, they don't have enough pilots, they don't have enough air traffic controllers. We have some stats on that. But yeah, like it is, uh, it's pretty bad. And that's why you're seeing so many cancellations these times. But it's the it's the fault of the federal government for not including provisions in the money to say, hey, like we want you to pay people. We don't want you to pay people to go away. But that's not what they did. 
Right, exactly. And that, that, I think, is the important point here. So there is plenty of blame to go around for the airlines. The airlines were faced, obviously, with this really difficult circumstance. People didn't know how quickly travel was going to come back. On the flight that I was on, there were three passengers. You had, obviously, the pilot and the co-pilot, and you had four stewards in the back of the plane. Uh, they're burning cash for that plane to go off, and they've got three airline tickets to pay for it. It doesn't make sense. So the idea was to keep those people in their jobs. The program didn't do that. And like you said, this was basically a blank check that our federal government gave to these airlines because the provision did not require them to actually maintain staff. Uh, it was a blank check. And the federal government's done this before. I mean, you saw that with the Wall Street bailouts. Remember in 2008, there were all these bailouts that came to uh, you know some of the big firms. And then people were outraged after those bailouts because the big financial firms were giving end of the year bonuses for performance. These right. are the same financial institutions that nearly collapsed. They were given bonuses because, again, the federal government sent a blank check to Wall Street and did not specifically say what it was for. It's the same thing here with the airlines. And the staffing is a huge part of the problem because when you buy out pilots, as, as Delta and other airlines did, uh, it's not like there's a bunch of pilots sitting at home. Uh, that you can just call up and say, hey, we want to bring you back or we want to hire you. Uh, it's a very skilled position. Uh, so the airlines definitely screwed up uh, in the way that they've handled it. But there are some other factors here as well, because the airlines will accept some responsibility. But, of course, they want to deflect. And one of the ways that they're deflecting, Eric, is they are blaming the federal government as well, saying that they're having staffing problems, but so is the TSA, the Transportation Safety Administration, and so is the FAA. Um, and that, I think, is an important part of this ingredient that people uh, don't get. So, for example, one of the uh, airline industry lobbying groups sent a letter to the Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, uh, raising this concern. Uh, by the way, Eric, I have to say it's funny to me, Pete Buttigieg, who ran the town of South Bend, Indiana, who's now the transportation secretary, has been very vocal in telling the airlines how they ought to actually run, how the CEOs ought to actually run the airline industry. Uh, I'm not sure he has much background, but anyway. Well, he, worked, he worked for McKenzie, man. He worked for McKenzie. and he's a <laughs> okay. white guy. White yeah, guys never consultant. have a hard time. <laughs> White guys never have a hard time telling people what to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's he's doing spades there. But um, yeah, I mean, to get back to this letter, uh, what the airline industry lobbying thing have done is they've complained that the FAA has massive staffing issues of its own. Uh, talking about specifically New York and Jacksonville, uh, saying that those facilities have been understaffed for 27 of the previous 30 days. This was a letter they sent a couple of weeks ago. The United Airlines CEO, Scott Kirby, also highlighted this problem of bottlenecks because the FAA was having so-called uh, system-wide air traffic control issues uh, related to staffing. The FAA has denied this. So there's some blame there as well. And, and part of the problem, Eric, seems to be this labor shortage in general uh, that we're having in the economy right now. It's the airlines, but also apparently the federal government. So that's part of the problem here. By the way, if you want to see uh, airline staff move much quicker than they did during drink service on my flight last night, uh, <laughs> then you should watch them play past the buck when it comes to who exactly is to blame for these issues. Because those FAA shortages you mentioned, 
Um, they, they, they will say that's true, but they say, well, that's not really why we're having all these delays. The, the FAA, when they, because, you know, they don't have enough air traffic controllers and they don't have enough people to kind of route flights a certain way. And they will say, no, it's 100% weather. So it's just really interesting that it gets real squishy real quick in terms of just who's to blame for it. And it's interesting to me that you compare this to the Wall Street bailout, which I think is a good comparison. To me, it's also comparable to the oil industry that we talked about, I think, last week. Yeah. Yeah. Just in terms of the ramp up time, right? We talked about how our oil execs say, look, we need a certain amount of time. We need certainty to be able to plan for things. You know, you don't just like pull it out of the ground. You got to be good do refineries and things. Um, at the end of the day, like you can hire, I think, staff in terms of flight attendants and other people to work on the actual airlines much more quicker than you can pilots. Um, right. But but the pilot issue is a, is a big deal, right? Because you have to have 1,500 hours before you can fly a commercial flight. And, um, you know, they've, they said, well, we think we're going to have, you know, 12,000 more pilots. That's what the FAA said they want to do. But... They actually have only issued 5,000 pilot train certificates as of last year. So it doesn't necessarily seem like it's going to get better anytime soon. Oh, by the way, there's also the actual plane issue, right? Like there's it's oftentimes there's a shortage of physical equipment in terms of planes. Delta, you may not know this because you are not elite, but uh, <laughs> Delta just offered a credit card that was made out of a plane. And at first I thought that was awesome. But then now having done some research, I was like, maybe you should have kept the plane, right? Because I think, I think this is a bit of a problem. Like I love the credit card, but bro, I mean, I'm also trying to get somewhere. Yeah, so, yeah. no. Um, but it, by the way, it, it's worth pointing out, this is not just a U.S. problem. Um, I just saw literally in the news uh, this week, Heathrow Airport, um, you know, the, the beginning of this week has said they're canceling 10,000 flights um, excuse me, not 10,000 flights, uh, 10,000 people are going to be impacted because they're canceling 61 flights uh, as of, I think, Monday. And it's due to, it, like, I don't think it's an actual, like, air traffic control issue. It's they have so much luggage and they don't have enough people to get the luggage through the whole process. So, like, we, we can't process more people. So, like, literally from the pilots flying the planes to the people trying to funnel the bags through the systems and everywhere in between, the system is overloaded and yeah. it does speak to, you know, hey, man, like what did we spend all this money on two years ago if, we, if it wasn't to like try to be better equipped to handle the problem that we're facing right now? Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me what we need to be worried about with uh, companies in the travel industry or Wall Street is making sure that they are uh, effective and profitable in the good times and in the halfway good times and not just throw money at them during the panic times. Um, and that's kind of what's happened here because you you everybody's frustrated right now. Nobody is happy with where airline travel is. And Eric, the question becomes, so what do we do about it? What is the solution here? Uh, and, you know, you, you really only got a couple of ways to go. One is you have more regulation, right? The government needs to, to play a bigger role here. That has never worked well. Um, you know, the airline industry was heavily regulated. It still is. But even more so uh, up until it was deregulated under President Jimmy Carter, of all people. Back in 1978, they deregulated the uh, airline industry. Uh, and it's interesting because if you go back and look at the newspapers uh, after that happened, Something really strange happened. Flights in and out of Washington, D.C. were on time a lot more. <laughs> and you know what? You know why it was very interesting. People that sat on the transportation committees in the House and the Senate, because it was so regulated and Congress had such a big role over the airline industry, members of Congress would actually call 
if they were running late and have a flight held. They would call National Airport or uh, Dulles Airport hadn't really been completed yet, but they would call National Airport in D.C. and say, hey, this is Congressman such and such's office. He's on the Transportation Committee. He's running late. And they would hold the entire plane for that member of Congress. So that's what government power gets you. It gets you more control, greater inefficiency. Um, I'm not saying that there necessarily needs to be more deregulation, but we need to be thinking about ways to help these companies thrive. The problem is uh, right now, Eric, a lot of the rhetoric come out of D.C. Um, you know, you look at uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and, and some of the other predictable people on the political left. Their solution is they want more government control, uh, more taxes, more penalties on the airline industry. And the bottom line, Eric, is if you look at the airline industries, they're not terribly profit profitable in terms of net profit. Uh, they have to worry about the fluctuations in the price of gas. And of course, that's uh, much more expensive for, for jet fuel for them. They have personnel and staffing issues. They have weather issues. So it's not like printing money. When you compare it to big tech firms like Google that make you know 30% return uh, on investment every year, the airline industries are way down there in the single digits. So it's not like this is something the government can come in and fix. And it's a pretty complex issue. It's not like there's an easy solution to this. So what do you think about the proposal? Because one of the ideas I think Pete Buttigieg and others have, has, have advanced is they would fine airlines every time a flight gets canceled. Um, so, I mean, do you feel like that is beneficial and it creates an incentive for them to, hey, man, like if it's cheaper for us to have extra staff on hand than it is for us to have to pay the government fine? Or do you think that that's only going to jack up the cost of airline travel for the average passenger? Well, I, look, if we're going to get in a situation where if there's a flight cancellation, that could be because of personnel issues, it could be because of weather, it could be because of a mechanical issue. We don't want airlines flying if there are weather or mechanical issues, right? right? Um, so to me, it seems like you're creating the wrong kind of incentive. I mean, you could flip that and say to uh, Mayor Pete, uh, or you can say to Elizabeth Warren, well, should we dock the pay of public officials when they fail to do their job? Um, you know, there's some reports that have come out that the Department of Transportation screwed up uh, several uh, major initiatives at the TSA uh, that are complicating some of the baggage screening, baggage screening issues and things like that. Uh, I don't think that, that fining because of flight cancellations is actually going to solve anything. Uh, and it's going to jack up the cost uh, of airlines, uh, of, of flying and, and whatnot. So I don't think that really makes sense. I don't think there are, there are easy solutions. I think the best solution is we need to have a labor market that encourages people to be out and, and, and working and getting skilled jobs. Um, and that's, I think, part of the problem. Uh, I remember reading about uh, some people in the airline industry discussing the fact that they can't get people to handle uh, uh, baggage issues at some airlines. You know, they're paying about 19 and a half, uh, 20 bucks an hour. And somebody was pointing out, why get paid that when there are all these other jobs right now? It's a, it's a very tight uh, labor market where you can be working indoor and air conditioned. You don't have to be out in the rain carrying bags uh, around an airline terminal to, uh, to put them into a plane. So we need to create opportunities for people to be employed. Uh, we need to create a labor force uh, that is highly skilled. 
um, that's where I think a lot of this solution will be will be solved if we can address those labor issues. But you don't want to tell that to anybody in Washington because they would rather uh, cast the blame exclusively on uh, corporations, which of course do make mistakes. We criticize them all the time, rather than looking at, at real solutions that are going to that are going to help solve this problem in the medium to long term. What are your thoughts on this? My thought is like that I think this might have to be my last podcast because I just found out I can make $19 an hour working <laughs> indoors in a climate change environment. What am I doing hanging out with you? <laughs> that, that's right. And you don't, you don't even get any swag, right? You, you can get some Delta or United swag, which would be better than you could get from me. No, this, right. is one of those, this is one of those very complex problems, Eric, that we talk about all the time. There's no easy solutions. Look, corporations are going to do what corporations do. They're going to be worried about their, their quarterly shareholder uh, uh, reports. Um, they've got earnings. They want to make sure that they're hitting their marks. Um, it's a highly competitive industry in a way because you've got all these different carriers, but they still need to be held into account. And it's ultimately up to the federal government when it comes to these bailouts and other things. If you are handing out cash, you need to put restrictions on how that cash is used. And you can't throw up your arms after the fact and say, why did you use the money for that? Because money's fungible. They're going to use it for what they think is most effective if you don't put in any restrictions on it. And if you don't believe me, uh, hand out cash to your college age kids and tell them to go uh, you know, buy a good quality nonfiction book to read uh, and see how many of them actually do that if there's no written agreement as opposed to you know, blowing it on something else. I love I love how the guy that spent his whole career investigating cronyism and self enrichment <laughs> is literally pay, paying his college age kids to buy his books. Like, no, no buy a good nonfiction book, anything you want, really. But you know, That's right. check the s, let check me, the s's. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me recommend a few. Yeah. I, I would say this. I would say this just to, to to the point about like what relationship has the federal government had with the airline industries? It's worth pointing out that now they're getting a little bit more heavy handed. And trying to be, you know, asking the airline industry to be more responsive to them. I think it's worth pointing out that they were not responsive to the airline industry for months leading up to where we are now when the airline industry said, hey, we'd very much like to drop this mask mandate. We have, you know, the science is very clear in terms of the air circulation, everything else. We don't need this. I mean, you know, top airline industry execs were pleading for the removal of it six months to, to longer before they actually did. And remember, the, whole, the only reason the mask mandate's even down isn't because the federal government, you know, conceded that this was the issue, because a federal, a federal judge struck it down, a Florida judge, in fact. So, I mean, it is interesting. And some people are like, oh, well, who's going to fly now? But so just look at what the demand for air travel is more than maybe on some level the industry can have it. But it's just funny that, you know, this is not the first issue the federal government's maybe not been on the right side of as it comes to regulating the airline industry. And I also think we got to give credit to our colleague, Seamus Bruner, has pointed out that there's a relationship between the most the level of regulation an industry receives and the level of customer satisfaction, they're inversely correlated. And so, um, you know, I think these are just a couple of examples of how when the federal government wades in, it doesn't tend to go very well for anybody. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right, and that's a great observation by Seamus. Uh, and look, uh, we have to realize, as we talk about all the time in this podcast, that big government and big corporations are not enemies; they're actually allies. And you want to bet that if Mayor Pete uh, decides to run for president or runs for some other office, 
I'm going to go out on a limb, Eric, and suggest that he's going to call up the airlines and their executives asking for campaign donations. Uh, that's just the way Washington works. So I don't take these protests very seriously. Uh, and really, in a cer- to a certain extent, they don't want to solve a lot of these problems because solving these problems eliminates the leverage that government officials have over corporations. And they want that kind of uh, symbiotic relationship. Well, Eric, I know you are overseas. I know you are with your lovely wife. I, I hope you have a wonderful time and you get back safe. And I hope you don't uh, experience too many delays uh, when you are in your exotic overseas locale. I will say that your boss here is humbly in the continental United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah, blue collar Schweitzer over here. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't quite swing for those international flights. Um, and certainly am not as familiar with the uh, with the Delta Lounge uh, at, at, at airports around the world as you are. But in all seriousness, I hope you have a wonderful time. I uh, appreciate you uh, connecting with us up on the podcast. And any closing thoughts before you enjoy uh, some time overseas? I'm not saying I have a problem, but I definitely remember the bartender from the E-Terminal Sky Lounge from two weeks ago. So. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, this is The Drill Down. You can find all of our podcasts at thedrilldown.com. You can find Eric's book called Fraud on Voter Fraud on Amazon, and you can find my books there as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time.